0: The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org.
1: Father, we just had opportunity to sing of When Eternity Draws Near. We sing a line like that, and we perhaps remember something that eternity is approaching every moment. We, we can think of it as down the road a ways, and unless we're older, or unless we're ill, then it seems closer. But if we're young and healthy and strong, it seems eventually down the road somewhere. And right now, we are very firmly planted here. We've got two feet in this world, and we We smell the smoke of the fires and we watch a football game on tv and we we eat dinner and we're here lord would you now here in this moment open our eyes to see that eternity is right next to us it's not coming at some point we stand right on the edge right now we are here for a brief time it's a short trip, and we don't know when it ends. Eternity draws near now. Open our eyes and help us to see that, please. And then as we sang about and as we'll, we'll read about, would you also help us with open eyes to see something else, to see you in all of your goodness and in all of your love and make that sweet to us, please. Please. Both those together, Lord, show us eternity here and show us yourself here. and Move us to follow you with hearts that are glad, filled with hope, submissive, following. We need that. Please make it happen. Spirit of God, we can't make that happen ourselves. I can't make that happen with my words. We can't make that happen by our own willpower. You have to. Do a work in us and open our eyes and cause us to see in a seeing way. Then move us. So make that happen this morning, please, as we look at this passage. Build us up and honor your name, we pray. Please do that for the sake of your church, for the sake of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Do you remember some time in your life when some series of events or some circumstances worked out extremely well? Just like you planned it, or better than you could have hoped. I recently heard a story about a family in our congregation that had car trouble while traveling cross-country. And and all through that story, even from, from how the problem was detected to piece by piece of how it was addressed and fixed, all through it, it all just worked out amazingly well, just perfectly. You remember something like that for you? Maybe your entertainment plans for some special evening or some, some medical procedure or a, a business deal or a vacation or your acceptance to that REACH school and the financial package that made it possible. Something that it just worked perfectly. In that moment, in that situation, if one pops in your mind, how do you feel right there? Happy, excited, relieved, and often thankful. Okay? So do you remember some time in your life when some set of events or some circumstances worked out extremely poorly? nothing like you planned it, and worse than you even thought was possible. Every home renovation project fits right here. (laughs) And more seriously, many other things in life fit right here. From the trivial inefficiency of spending all day ferrying kids around, never getting anything done, feeling like the day was wasted, to the more serious, the way this, this relationship that you'd hoped for, actually worked out with all of its heartache. The medical procedure that didn't go like you hoped. The time that you didn't notice the car trouble and ended up stranded somewhere, or worse, got in an accident, There were injuries, or some illness came upon you, the dead-end boring job that is your life. In those moments, in those situations right there, if you can imagine one of those in your life, how do you feel right there? Sad, disappointed, worried, and often thankful. Wait, thankful? Get that that backwards, get that wrong. Thankful is how we feel when things go well, not when they go poorly, Steve. Other way. When things fall apart, when failure or loss or pain or just yuck, comes we feel frustrated and angry and fearful feeling like we got ripped off maybe feeling like it's all been a waste we're frustrated but we're not thankful and yet we read things like this in the bible give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of god in christ jesus for you give thanks in all circumstances What kind of lunatic wrote that? Paul. Remember? Paul. He's often shipwrecked and imprisoned and beaten and scorned and mocked and rejected by his friends, often poor and hungry and homeless. His whole life is one gigantic series of things working out poorly, full of difficult circumstances. And yet he writes that to the Thessalonian church. Give thanks in all circumstances. Instruction that he often echoes to other churches as well. And that's what brings us to our passage for today. The conclusion here today to this section we've been looking at the last number of weeks, where Paul's been telling us that in Christ, we, we who are his people who are in Christ, we are something and so we are to be that. We're to live that, not by willpower and by trying harder to just do it, but rather by setting our minds on all that we are because we're in Christ, all that God is for us, all that he provides for us and has done for us and has relieved from us and promises to bring to us because we're people in Christ. Set our minds on all that. And if that happens, not only will we, will we walk in a different way, but as we're going to see today, if that happens, if our minds are set on that, it's going to produce thankfulness in us in all circumstances. That's one of the byproducts of having this truth from God, these, these updates come to us and change us. Thankfulness. It seems crazy to think about being thankful amidst all circumstances, even amidst the yuck in life. But would that not be a more positive way of walking through the yuck? Would that not be a more freeing, a more delightful, a more relieving way of walking through all of that that's difficult? So so God, God requires it of us. It's what's honoring to him and it would be really good for us. Something in us kind of wants that. So how do we get there? That's what we're going to be considering today. Let me read the passage. This is in Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. I'll read it and then draw out two observations. Paul says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, Two observations, here's the first. Christ reigns for peace, so we are thankful. Christ reigns for peace, so we are thankful. That's the logical connection we're supposed to get from verse 15. 15 is another command to us, but it's not like the ones we've seen in the last couple of weeks with their lists of sins and lists of virtues. Instead, this command is like what we saw a few weeks back in verses 1 to 4, the beginning of this section. So we're getting something here that's, that's like a bookend. Before in 1 to 4 we saw what are we supposed to set our minds on, and then we see these lists, and then here now at the end we're getting the other bookend, that this is also what our minds are to be set on, what's supposed to come to us to update us, to rule in our hearts, as the verse says. So what's to rule in our hearts, to control us within? The peace. The peace that is made by Christ. Which might make us wonder, is that the peace that Christ makes between us and God? Or the peace that Christ makes between us and other people? Or the peace, the, the, the sense of, of rest and relief that he makes in our own hearts? Which is it? And in a way, it's all of that Because, really, it's bigger than any of that. You may remember, this piece has come up before in this book already, back in chapter 1. Verse 20, we read there. If if you're here, you may recall some of this from back then, but that's been a few weeks. So, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 20, it says there, God reconciled to himself all things everywhere, things in heaven and things on earth, all things everywhere, Making peace by the blood of the cross, by Christ's cross. This is the peace that's supposed to be on our mind here when we come to our passage. The state of peace that exists in all the creation because God has reconciled, God has has fixed the broken relationship, God has reconciled all of it back to himself. What's this about? Well, if you can for a minute try to think of the creation and the the creation story and the fall, think of it without there being any such thing as Jesus. So kind of set that aside for a moment if, if you can. And what we have then is we have a world that God made that is at odds with him, that is alienated from him, that is in conflict with him, and that's a conflict that's unresolved. It's a world that's filled with evil, filled with sin. It's shot through it all. It's spoiled it all. It's wrecked it all. It's ruined it all. It's fallen. And the only way, setting aside, forgetting Jesus, the only way that a righteous and just and holy and pure God can fix that would be to wipe it out. you got a leg that's that's diseased, and the only way to fix it is to cut it off. Get rid of it. He could remedy the fallenness. He could remedy the brokenness and the evil rebellion by eliminating the world. But, instead, what God did was he made a way, bring back in, Christ and his cross, he made a way not to eliminate the world fallen in sin, but to eliminate sin from the world. To eliminate what was evil and thereby fix what was fallen, fix the world. Which is not to say, recall from back then, not to say that all people get saved and that all people come into God's presence received. There's still a consequence if people still hold on to sin. But it means that God has overcome the rebellion that was in the world, that that alienated the world from him and left him in a position that the only way I can deal with this is to draw you close and pour out my wrath on you, world. Now there's another way. Wrath poured out on the cross and the world then drawn near and embraced and utilized by God. There's a peace then. And so that all of God's will, all of God's ways are worked into the world, not against the world. Christ reigns as king over it. And so then, as someone once said, there are no maverick molecules in the world. Another thing smaller than molecules, but what that person who said that was trying to grab is that the smallest possible thing you can think of, it. Even that thing, even, isn't running amok, haywire, contrary to God. But that thing, even the molecule and all of things larger than that have been pulled into God's orbit, and God is at peace with those things, not hostile towards them, but at peace with them, utilizing everything. Even the molecules. Utilizing everything. It's all operating according to the will of Christ the King, It's all acting to exalt that king. It's all being worked and and used to lift up this king and his kingdom, even if it doesn't think so. So we can say, sort of, to use an analogy, that this life we live right now is not like a basketball game where two teams contend against each other, going back and forth, one scoring in one basket and the other scoring in the other basket, and, and they're competing. And, and because we've read the whole Bible, we expect that at the end Jesus' team is going to have more points, Jesus' team wins. 60 to 50, Jesus wins. Actually no. What this is saying here is that everything's been claimed by Jesus such that, in the analogy, He's actually laid claim to both baskets. Every score adds on to Jesus' team score. Even when the monster player from the other team throws down a huge dunk and all their fans cheer and we are, for a moment, tempted to think, man, that was terrible, we're awful. Even then, in that moment, we can say, oh, that was in our basket. That's two more points for us. Thank you. thank you, you scored for us. That's what his reign is like right now. All of this has been claimed for him. Which means that all things, even the bad things, all of them are under his hand. It all passes beneath his scepter. It all is washed and used for his purposes. God having reconciled all things to himself, making peace means that all things are his for him, which means all things are Christ's for Christ, which means all things are ours for us. Both baskets, all things, even the yuck. This is what the reign of Christ that is and has made and will abundantly make peace means for us right now, that it's all for us and not against us. Let that rule in your mind, Christian, church. This is what he's called us to. Called us all to together because it's going to be a group project for us to remember this and to see it in the midst of all that yuck because it's hard sometimes to see that. Because it doesn't mean, of course, that there's no animosity, that there's no hostility, that stuff doesn't come against us. It means that even what comes against us, what is meant against us by some as evil, God means it for good. Those are words from the story of Joseph, right, from Genesis? Did Joseph's brothers mean to benefit Joseph? No. Did it benefit Joseph? Yes, because God meant it to. Hey, that's before Jesus, that doesn't count. Yeah, it does. Because everything in God's eyes includes Jesus. He didn't never set him apart. God never considered the creation apart from Christ. He always saw, I'm gonna take care of the evil in Jesus. And I'm gonna use all of this, all of it, I'm gonna mean it for good, all of it. We need as a people to set our minds on this and to have this rule in our hearts that God has ownership and control over everything in life. And so everything that comes to us, everything that comes to us, and I understand the scope of everything is big. It includes some awful stuff. Everything that comes to us is met by God To do us good. That does not say that everything is good. Meant by God to do us good, even the evil. We're going to need help believing this and remembering it and seeing it. That's why he calls us to that together as a people. But if it would be something that we as a people would own, there would be great blessing in it for us. Can you imagine, can you imagine to live seeing that? To see that what God has decided, yes, that will be. God has decided it about us in Christ, which means right in the center of his passionate, deep, wide, long, high love for you. Not apart from that, but right in the middle of it. So it comes to us sometimes through tears and sweat for sure, but it comes to us always with a this. Romans 8 28 is true. I'm working it for your good. It's true that these light and momentary afflictions are attaining for you an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. It's true. Whatever comes to us comes to us in that context. We have to believe that and have to speak that to each other and have to encourage one another with that truth. Sometimes it's in words and sometimes it's just in a hug. Sometimes it's with shared tears. But there is great blessing if this rules in our hearts the peace that Christ has made through the world to, in the world, and therefore the reality, that means that it's all for us. None of it is for our destruction. None of it is for some sadistic pain. All of it is for transforming of me and you and us further and further and further into the likeness, into the image of God that we were made for, growing us up. So be thankful. See the connection? That's why that's right there at the end of that verse. Be thankful. It seems... To follow it all through, it seems that that's just kind of dropped in out of nowhere, but it fits in right there because when we understand this, we can actually say, thank you. I think it was Vaclav Havel. I didn't get a chance to look that up this week, but I think it was him. could be wrong about this. That said, thank you, prison, for you made me the man that I am. If it was Havel, I don't remember. He's talking about prison and says, thank you. Not because prison was good and fun, but kind of like we say, labor and delivery brings life, so labor and delivery is a good thing. Not because labor and delivery is fun, but because of what it brings. To be able to look at life and say, it all is producing something for me. Thank you but you didn't leave me as I am. Thank you. The logic there is completely clear. The living of that is completely challenging. Completely challenging, right? I mean, I can, I can say all that I just said And you can hear the verses. You can hear Corinthians. You can you can hear Romans, and and you can say like, yeah, okay, I see that. And you can understand the labor and delivery. And you can hear okay, prison. I guess it shaped me. I can understand. He might say that. The logic is completely clear. But my word, how do you live that? It's completely clear, and it's completely crushing and convicting because I'll just tell you, thanklessness or a complaining critical spirit knows right where I live. Probably you too. Grumbling is common to us, and when we face that stuff in life, more often fear and, and disappointment dread grips us Okay so we got to be honest with ourselves then What's true Because what the complaining this is I'm I'm pushing this your way because it was pushed my way this week by God, not by somebody else, by God. At some point, we have to stop and ask ourselves, the complaining, the critical spirit, the grumbling, exposes me. It exposes you. It it tells you what's ruling in your heart. It, It reveals to you this piece of Christ is something that I know as an intellectual fact, but it's not the controlling paradigm of me. What controls me is, is my vision of what's good and right. Is repentance in order for you? Grumbling and complaining and, and the thanklessness says to God, you have done something wrong in how you've ruled your world here. We have seen what's come about, and we have seen, then, God, your failure. If you knew better, like me, you would have done it. That's hard, but let's be clear. That's what's going on in our hearts, is repentance in order. And understand that when God talks to us and says repentance is in order, he does not talk to us, his people, like this. Don't talk to me like that. No, 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 no. That's not how your father talks to you. He talks to you instead. That's wrong. Repent. Repent. And can you, son, can you, daughter, imagine what it would be to actually walk a life where you always were able to utter a reasonable, true thank you? See, God, God talks to us. He tells us what's right and wrong. He certainly confronts that. But then what he always does is he gives us reason. He gives us a picture, a hope that says, look, can you imagine to walk through life thankful?" Not just because it's required, but because that would be relief, release. You can walk around always feeling fortunate, even amidst the tragedies. Yes, that's hard. We may have to like, keep working with the, in the community of the church to keep working to see, how do, I, how do I say thank you in the midst of these tears? But most of the time, if we're honest, we're not talking about tragedies. We're talking about inconveniences stuck in traffic all day long, wasting my day. That's most time where we grumble and complain. And he wants to say to you, his his beloved people, can you imagine what it would be like to walk through all of those inconveniences and all those hassles and all those pains and all those troubles, thankful, not just saying thanks because you're supposed to, but actually thankful it would be a great relief, a great release, a burden off of you to say, my life is in your hands and all of this that you are working in me is for me. Because you control it all and you've claimed it all. It's from you for me. That would be good for you, Christian. And that's what God wants for you. And that's why he wants to press into your minds and let it rule in your hearts to update you with this truth. I Rain reign for your good. I reign for your good, and there isn't anything that's getting away from me. It's all been brought back to me, and I control it all for your good. That would be a sweet thing to be able to be back and forth through traffic all day long and thankful and to deal with the heartaches of life thankful and it comes from the peace of Christ ruling your inside he has it all it's for him and that means it's for me thank you, you're doing me good Let that rule you on the inside. That would be a blessing to us who are weary and heavy laden. Let that rule you. And secondly then, Christ is ours and we are his, so we are thankful. Christ is ours and we are his, so we are thankful. Verse 16 is another command, similar to verse 15. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. This is not about some particular word that Jesus said, some saying of his, but rather it's about words about Christ. Paul has in mind here the message that they and that that we have heard about Christ, about what God has done in Christ. So he has in mind the gospel message itself. We've seen it mentioned before, chapter 1, it's the word of truth, not the word of Christ, it's the word of truth, the gospel. And then he uses similar words later in chapter 1 where he talks about how he is proclaiming Christ, including the mystery of Christ crucified, warning everyone, it's like admonishing, teaching everyone in all wisdom, very similar words because he's talking about the same thing all throughout. It's the gospel, the word of Christ. And that's what's meant to dwell in us richly. So not on the surface in some formal way, but in a deeply filling and sweetly controlling way. This gospel is supposed to be at our core. Not just first on a list of stuff we kind of officially agree with. He's trying to, in his language, trying to dwell in you richly. He's trying to talk about this being pushed in because there's a difference here between stuff we know and stuff that actually rules us, to use the word from the previous verse. We all, we all know that, you've probably seen the, the ads on TV. Everybody in America is, is, is aware that smoking is a, one of the causes of lung cancer. Everyone knows there's a correlation between that. Facts you know don't actually change you. And everybody realizes this, which is why all the public service announcements, all the the commercials you see on TV, try to in some way make it graphic and emotional. and They'll picture somebody talking through a, a, a trach tube. They'll picture somebody crying as he tells his family that he has lung cancer they'll they'll show you black lungs with all kinds of stuff floating try to try to make graphic and to make to drive it into you to influence you emotionally because they know the fact that smoking is linked to lung cancer doesn't change much until it gets in God wants this gospel not just to be something you know and agree with, but something that gets in, that, that moves in, that dwells in us richly. So can you, can you see the gospel? See the gospel. That God Almighty in, in, in great humble love came to earth, took on a body, came to earth. Having chosen you in eternity past, he came in pursuit of you and then poured out His Spirit so as to awaken you and alert you to this fact and to draw you to Him, to save you. Can you see that? May it move into you. May may the the connection of, of God Almighty and a humble babe, may the connection of a brutal death and glorious life, may that move you. But what I'm doing here right now, I'm, I'm preaching this and trying to press it into you like this, is not actually what the passage does. Because if we would ask the passage, okay, how does that come about? You want this gospel to, to dwell in me richly. How does that come about? If we ask the passage, we might expect something like, well, preach to them, or listen to the preacher, or study your Bible. But what we get in the passage is something else, something that's corporate and musical. Let it dwell richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. That's the church together with the church. This is a corporate endeavor. So the gospel must must move into and must grip you and and and. Stir you inside not to speak fact, but that, how that happens? It involves us with us. It's a corporate endeavor. Some of us, and, I, and I'm one of these people who's kind of inclined this way, some of us are, are more inclined to think, I want to get really serious about this, and so I'm going to go off by myself and sit down by myself with my Bible by myself, which is not wrong in itself, but is not the main focus and certainly is not what's said in this passage. It's us together teaching and admonishing one another. We need each other to tell us what's true and to correct us where we're off from the outside, to remind us of the sweetness of what God has done in Christ from the outside of us, one to another. It's a corporate endeavor, which is why Paul's been so worried about the church altogether previous verses we're to teach and admonish one another wisely and how do we do that well if you have the nas or the new nav in front of you you got a little advantage here because those translations in in the english make clear something that is a little hard to detect in some other translations you see it teach and admonish one another by means of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs Now, we are, for sure, singing those songs to God. We don't gather each other and sing a concert to one another. It is talking about praise and singing to God in worship, for sure, singing these sorts of things. But the important point is that the Old Testament Psalms themselves, recently newly composed hymns themselves and spirit songs, songs given spontaneously by the Holy Spirit into the community, Those are the vehicles themselves that carry the teaching and admonishing content from one Christian to another as we are corporately together singing to each other. That does not eliminate the need for teaching of the Scriptures from some particular person. After all, we're reading about this in Colossians. From Paul, which is not a hymn or a psalm or a spirit song. It's on top of that. An important avenue for teaching and monoshing because God made us that way. God God made us to be people who are grabbed in a, a sneaky and in a powerful way, won over by music. You probably know this when you step into an elevator and you hear a song and you are right away, 20 years back, feeling like you're 20 years younger because of the song. It just happened when you stepped in the elevator and you heard that music, or you go to the restaurant and you hear that song, that, that soundtrack that they're playing on purpose to make you nostalgic and make you buy stuff. But it works because we're made that way. That's that's an important path into, into our hearts. How stuff gets into us is not just by facts being recited, but also by them being sung. Which is why the Bible calls us, the Psalms are full of, sing to the Lord. God's calling us to work with how he made us. And when the song grabs us and we sing with not just formality and, and drudgery, but but sing with joy and moved by the Spirit, what, what rises up in us is that's true, that's beautiful, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So it's not hard to think about how to apply this. We should sing. Here, now, we should sing here now, but we should sing also everywhere. Not only sing, but sing also. Poetry, a- another kind of half song. You don't have an instrument, but you can use poetry. These ways that, that can, like, catch us and that, that present truth to us in a different way, to sing and And to talk about poetry and to talk about truth in poetry together, these are ways that that come at us and can grab us. Together, one anothering one another. That thankfulness will grow in our hearts. And then to, verse 17, so that we'll walk in thankfulness. Walk obediently in thankfulness. 17 is a summary of the whole section that's come before. All summed up here, don't walk in sin, walk in Christ. Whatever you do, walk always in Christ, walk always giving thanks to Christ. But remember the context all throughout. We conclude this whole section, and we have to remember the context all throughout is not just do it. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, be obedient. Whatever you do, honor Jesus with it. Not just do it. Whatever you do, first and foremost, ruled by his reign of peace that tells you all things are under his hand and being used by him, and ruled by the gospel that tells you that you're his and he's yours, so used by him for your good ruled by that, with minds set on that, together as a body, walk obediently after him, giving thanks to him for everything, because it's all from him for your good. That's where thankfulness comes from, and how we can have it and enjoy it in all things at all times if our minds are set on Christ and what God is for us in Christ, thankfulness rises up in us as we walk obedient to him, a fortunate people. That's who we are. So set your mind on things above, where Christ is, and is seated reigning for you. And from where he is coming for you. That's who he is and that's who you are. He's yours and you're his. Give thanks. Let me pray. Father, we ask you for a miracle that you would help us to see him who is invisible and to see as present that which is not yet here and to trust you. We have human hearts that are prone to live by sight that are by nature doubting, weak. We live in lives now where we face frustrations and hurts of all sorts, of all different levels. So we ask you for a miracle. Will you fix deep in our hearts your reign and your love for us, your people? Fix that deep within us and stir us then. Give us the gift of thanksgiving, of thankfulness. Make that real in us, we pray. We trust it to you, Lord, and say thank you. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah.